This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the Blank Podcast, the podcast where we delve into those difficult moments with some well-known guests. I'm Giles Paley-Phillips and with me drinking and swigging from his mug, it's Jim Daly who's injured himself. In I'm the, carrying in an injury making, today. Yeah, making of this podcast. Podcast related injury. Yeah. So I've got a plaster on my middle finger. So I apologize there. I wasn't trying to be rude to you. Uh, but yeah, I can't actually bend my finger, which is really weird. I sort of feel really out of action now. Can't even mm. sort of lift my cup of tea because uh, I am right-handed. But yeah, while I was opening the window in the cabin where we're filming, um, it was we've painted the outside of the cabin with saddling or whatever it's called, the stuff to um, you know put, make it weather resistant. Preserve it. Yeah, exactly, and give it a nice sort of woody shine. Um, and the window was stuck because the guy was obviously painting it yesterday, and then I sort of tried to jam it open, and I've cut my knuckle knuckles are a terrible place to injure because it turns out they're quite pivotal like they're yeah, actually got, yeah. quite useful they do serve quite a good purpose yeah they do um, and it's very digits. painful it's straight onto the bone as well so it's um yeah so I'm, i am carrying an injury today but you know what i passed the late fitness test and uh i'm available for, for selection so uh all good how are you doing well, i'm just thinking who would we have as our substitute <laughs> who would we have as our i don't know yeah. We don't really have any subs, do we? Mm. Graham Norton. I don't. Mm, I don't know if Graham would be available. No. Who, He's who Premier League, past, isn't it? So we need to look past guests. Would you who, get who, in we, as a... who would need to look for someone from what League One? Someone Titchmarsh, <laughs> yeah, maybe. And I'm to think, who have we had on as a guest that you would have as a sub that you would call back? Do you think we'd do it? Because I'm thinking, actually, one of our most recent guests, Alex Lowe, I think possibly oh, would yeah, do it Alex and would, would be, be really good. I'd want to do him to do it as Clinton Baptiste. As Clinton, yeah. <laughs> I think he would do that. He's so up for a laugh, Alex. He's so yeah. he's so easy going. I think he probably would. Uh, he would probably be up for that. Um, but yeah, I, otherwise I don't know who from our. I, t- I tell you, actually tell you someone from right back from the beginning who would who would be good and is very compassionate, so would get a lot of our guests. I think that's Susie Dent. Ah, uh, Susie would be a brilliant stand-in. Yeah, substitute teacher she'd be fantastic she'd be great yeah, yeah. she'd be brilliant so yeah you know, okay I'll be, give her a call now 
give her a call and yeah and i'll go back to the, the treatment table um and then you can just carry on with susie yeah. now is uh, this um injury going to affect your keyboard skills possibly because i can't actually type look it's i can't well i haven't said that no it might be right because i do an incredibly rudimentary typing technique some would say hand. childlike basically one hand so i do i do touch type with my left hand and then with my right hand i just sort of prod with my index finger and it's mm. so childish i've never for some reason i've never can't believe i'm saying that as a 36 year old man but i've never developed into proper touch typing on both hands so actually i don't need my middle finger i probably would be okay but that's quite an embarrassing thing to admit isn't it that i can't really sort of type properly no i can't really either do you do the same then, sort of the prodding with the fingers? Pretty much, yeah. Oh, but I think my uncle, my uncle, my uncle John does that, and he's a he's a film journalist for Variety magazine, and so I think actually I might have got it from him because he yeah. sort of prods with his finger, so maybe it's genetic. Well, there's that kind of. I suppose people think if you're a writer, you should be able to just you know be really well, quick typers. Or but... it's like sort of piano playing, isn't it? Where you just like the fingers are like whirring away, and, and like it's all this, this beautiful prose is coming out. But actually, the reality, and you'll know this, is it's mostly typing a few things, deleting it, hitting your head against a brick wall, and nothing getting done. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> That's writing in a nutshell. <laughs> that is writing, yeah. <laughs> Sitting there the whole day, staring at your screen, thinking, why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> but uh, what about dog. musically, though? Because obviously you've got your keyboard behind you. Yes, not plugged in at the moment. Um, yeah. I'm better actually with that. I'm. I, I had piano lessons when I was younger. Obviously, we've got a musical guest today, so that this ties in I know, very nice. Is, I um. Quite, I did do music, but only up to grade two, I think, two or three, because I got very bored of all the classical stuff, and so I just got my piano teacher, a guy called Mike, who's a legend, still friends with my mum and dad, who um, uh, he used to call it vamping. So he was very good at that sort of, you know, you, you just sort of play the sort of eight bar blues kind of stuff, and then mm. he 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 had a good ear and I had a good ear, so we would work out pop music so i'd bring in cds um oh, like of, of, cool. the, of the supernaturals as it goes and um <laughs> and we would work out the songs from the supernaturals yeah so that we would do that so actually i've ended up having quite a good ear for music so i can listen to music and work out and i know the chords and stuff so i know what a c and a d and f sharp and all mm. so yeah that that i'm actually better at doing than t- than typing on a laptop actually yeah well it's funny is it actually because i know some people that are highly trained um, pianists and they find listening by ear very difficult they can't they need to have written you know yeah. sheet music in front of them to, to play and they they just can't pick out stuff which is i find sort of alien because you know um i suppose because maybe it's to do with being and obviously you had lessons but being self-taught um yeah. kind of listening to albums and then just picking up the guitar and yeah. trying to work stuff out and just sort of finding the notes because you're, you're self-taught aren't you I am self-taught, yeah. Yeah, because I'm sort of a bit of both. So I did the piano yeah. lessons, and then I gave up, and then picked up a guitar five years later and mm. taught myself that way. So I don't. I think you're right. Maybe that's, or maybe it's just something that's built into you. Like my wife Miranda is a fantastic singer. Mm. I mean, I can't sing, and yet she is a brilliant singer, musical musical theatre trained, and yet she can't do the ear listen by ear. She has to read it, and she mm. can read sheet music beautifully. I cannot read sheet no. music at all, but I can listen listen along and work it out from there. So I think we all just we all just have different abilities and different yeah, exactly. things to work with. Yeah, it's interesting. Music is just a wonderful thing. And obviously we have a wonderful guest on this week's podcast. Um, it's the amazing Imogen Heap. I've been a big fan of Imogen for years. I mean, going back, I think we were talking before we started recording, Jim, about our kind of uh, first hearing Imogen Heap. And I think it was probably, for me, it was watching um, Garden State, the movie with... Yeah. Um, that Bra- yes, yeah, that Braff and Natalie Portman Braff, made yeah, a seminal brilliant film for for anyone. I think that was sort of nerdy and young around that time. It is like the seminal yeah. 
movie is so good and the music is the soundtrack was like famously just like i think it won awards didn't it possibly yeah and i um, think yeah and it's an integral part of the film as well you know there's bits where yeah. natalie pullman gets um zach braff's character to put the headphones on and just yeah 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 exactly so, yeah it's a really really integral part but at the end of the movie there's a very poignant moment um and uh this song called let go which is from a collaboration Imogen did with a guy called Guy Sigsworth, which is Fru Fru, which they did the whole album. But Let Go is the first song on that album, and it's a, just an amazing song. And I think, you know, the the power of mu- music in film, it, you know, evokes these things. And then, when you know, obviously when you hear it afterwards, you're always thinking of that moment in the movie and stuff. And, yeah, anyway, I was really into her stuff from, from then on when and I brought Speak Yourself. And obviously Hide and Seek was a big... You know that a cappella song that she did, mm, which is yeah. big hit for her. again. A lot of her songs have been used on soundtracks, and you know I think a lot of people will know her stuff through listening yeah. to it on soundtracks and stuff. Um, um, but yeah, a prolific artist, and I mean, God, she can play every instrument as well. Yeah, incredibly talented. Um, so yeah, she's gonna gonna be a great guest, and I think we should dive into to her episode. We should stop talking about us doing music and talk to someone. Mm. Who, uh, <laughs> who has had, uh, well, an incredible career. Uh, before we do that, though, should we read out a couple of tweets from our lovely listeners? Oh, we always should. <laughs> um, shall I go first this week? I feel like yeah, I yeah, normally go, go second, so I'm going to go first. I'm going to read out uh, a tweet here from uh, Jane Sanderson. I'm going to read out a tweet here from Jane Sanderson, who is at Five Star Jane, who I know very well. Uh, she works at Crystal Palace, and she is one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. And I didn't realize she listened to the podcast, so thank you, Jane. It says, um, just listen to your latest episode of Nina Conti. Big fan of hers. Really inspiring to hear her story. Looking forward to more. So that sounds like Jane might be her first episode, and she's come on board. So, Jane, thank you so much. And, and yeah, the Nina episode was fantastic, wasn't it? Yeah, I love Nina. I've got, in fact, I've got another one here that's um, related to the Nina Conti episode. It's from Bethany, BYW30. She says, through lockdown and self-isolation, I've been trying new podcasts. Blank Pod is one of my new favourites. I can't wait to the end of the pod to post about it. And she has posted about the Nina Conti one as well. So thank you, Bethany. That's really kind. And yeah, that's really resonated with people, that episode. And Nina was great. Uh, absolute legend yeah so thank you so much for your tweets we do really appreciate them we do try and read them all as well and uh they do they do genuinely give us a lift when we read them so thank you so much for doing that someone else who's given us a lift is our fantastic guest imogen heap shall we go into it Giles? we certainly should so this is the one and only imogen heap on the blank podcast Where um, so that, that looks like a little pod room you've got set up. Where are you recording? I'm from? just in my in my home in Hackney. Um, oh, lovely. This is where I live when I'm, as I am a mother, and um, my daughter is extremely social, social, and doesn't like being, uh, uh not around people basically. So um, we live in Hackney. <laughs> oh, lovely. Yeah. How do you find? I was going to say, how do you find like, obviously, like I've got two kids at school as well. That that. The, the window of opportunity to do stuff is so small, like between dropping off and picking up. Do you, it, it can be quite stressful when you're being a creative as well, because you kind of almost kind of need like ample amount of time to sort of get on with a project. Do you find it difficult to str- with that kind of thing? I mean, you may have noticed um, or definitely fa- fans have noticed um, that I haven't been putting out music recently. Mm. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I do really struggle with finding long stretches of time. 
um, especially as I I live alone with my daughter. So that's um, that is quite hard to find. But when I do, I kind of go through a phase of oh my goodness, what do I do now? I've got I've got the house to myself, um, and then I go into a weird place, and then I eventually emerge out of that place a few hours later, and then go oh come on, just go downstairs and make some music. That's what you're meant to be doing. Um, so I go downstairs make some music and then um you know like I have a few half written I've got loads of half written songs um basically since Scout's been born um none of which I have the time to finish (laughs) um unless I'm really unless I really really love it um and there's a there's a, a break going on with the other projects then I I do manage to push it through and and get it done but it's it is really hard yeah I'm constantly thinking right tomorrow I'm going to figure out how I'm going to make it easier for myself to manage day to day um but never seems to come (laughs) no (laughs) I think I do I do think that is something that creative people all kind of suffer with really do do you have any sort of processes when you're having a day where things aren't coming and creativity feel really sad for a really long time um (laughs) and just you know stare out the window and wonder how people manage to get out out the door and look so nice um and then you know make a cup of tea make another cup of tea maybe make five cups of tea and then be like okay these five cups of tea haven't helped um maybe i should just go and do the thing and it just eventually comes out of um just kind of almost disgust with myself i'm just like come on just mm. just get on with it you're just you're pathetic um and then i'll go downstairs and then it then it'll be totally fine it's just that like initial phase like it's only it's only because there's such large distances between when i have time to myself when i don't have other things going on um but when i'm in the role when i'm on a role you know when it's in when it's habit again or mm. then I have no problem like waking up in the morning going like ah to hell with breakfast and just go for <laughs> it you know but that it just never really happens anymore um so there's this always this kind of like doubt yeah it's a bit crap <laughs> it's hard um, I've I've been feeling a bit like that recently trying to write I've been like trying to put some book proposals together and just not feeling it and and then you end up kind of sitting in front of a blank screen and trying to force yourself to do something. And it just, that's the worst thing because just nothing will come out then. And then, like you say, you sort yeah. of get pissed off of yourself and, and upset with yourself and think, oh, I'm useless at this. I can never do it again. And then all those other feelings in blind imposter syndrome, mm. all that kind of stuff kind of kicks in when you think, oh, you know, I have done this before, but I can't do it now for some reason. Yeah. I don't, I think it's just the dist, it's the distance between, um, the sitting at the studio. I, once I'm once I'm here in front of my computer and I have my system ready to go, I don't have a problem there. Um, but it's just the getting here. So that's yeah. it's the just the all the demons going. You know, whatever they're saying, just silly th- silly thoughts that I just should ignore um, and just get down here. Um, but I do find there are things that help, and I'm getting. I kind of feel like I'm constantly relearning the same things. Mm. Um, but just getting out the door and walking really helps. Just get an hour of being outside, listening to a podcast. I'm really into um, 
the Interdependence podcast uh, with Holly Herndon and Matt Dryhurst. I just find it deeply inspiring um, and feel so lucky that there's people out there with such knowledge that have researched so much, you know, stuff that's going on right now to help people like me go, oh, I get it. Yeah. I just really appreciate them. And they have a Patreon just like you do. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I just, I, you know, I, I just i am so grateful for people like that who have the time you know, like some medium posts as well. Just, yeah, really appreciate that. So anyway, I'll go out and I'll do some skipping. Uh, I like skipping at the moment because I sprained my ankle a year ago and it still hasn't recovered. Um, so I do a bit of skipping. And then I get back and just as I kind of make my way back to the house, if I am going to make music, then I'll just go straight downstairs. And I just, just no distractions. I just go, no, no, go down. Yeah, because there's uh, there's definitely yeah it's definitely when you're ready and you and you can feel it flowing you sort of need to get it out. But my my mother-in-law told me there's a thing about if you walk, this might be an old wives' tale. If you walk <laughs> through a door, you know how like you can walk into a room sometimes and you sort of forget why you're going to be there or you've forgotten mm. something. It's about walking through a door frame. Apparently, if you go through a door frame, you <laughs> it, cha- it sure changes your going. setting. Are you sure or about this? I don't. This I, sounds I, a bit I may voodoo. Have translated that a bit. That sounds a bit <laughs> weird. Um, okay. Right. Yeah. So if you walk through a door frame, strange things mm. happen. Strange things happen. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like the setup to like really sort of bad horror movie. Well, maybe that's why uh, life's really difficult because I've got so many door frames <laughs> in this house. I mean, even I'm just currently looking at one, two, three, four, wow, five, six door frames. Um, maybe Be careful the round which one you choose. There's much less door frame. Uh, door frame action. Um, so yeah, perhaps that's it. I just need to move into a warehouse flat, and all my problems will be solved. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and an and open we'll toilet. Warehouse, and open, yeah. No, no, no walled toilet. No doors at all. Yeah, it'd be terrible for privacy. No but front great for door. Creativity. In fact, no front door. Yeah. Just never have. Just don't have a house. Um, <laughs> just, don't, yeah, just live in a tent. Even that. Even that's, that's got a door. Got a, that's can't, got a door. You can't avoid doors, yeah. unfortunately. <sighs> Um, just, I've never heard that know. before, but that sounds a bit strange, Jim. But uh, yeah. I'm certainly, I'm up <laughs> for giving, to be honest, Thanks I'm up for giving it a go the, at this point. The mood. <laughs> <laughs> um, going back, obviously, you, you, you're from Essex originally. Yeah, well, technically, it's yeah. London. Oh, sorry. Um, sorry. But, but it was Essex. I think yeah. it might have been Essex when I was born. When was the M25 invented? Yeah. Like, when did that happen? Because whenever that happened, yeah. then we moved into London. Oh. Um, because we're just about inside London, if, if you're in the M25. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, whenever that I was built, remember. yeah, then yeah, it was London. yeah. <laughs> but was music yes. always like a big part of like family life? Was were your were your parents into music? Was you know, did you listen to records? Were the le- records handed down? No, no, no. Music wasn't really a big thing in my house. Um, I mean, my brother, he really liked you know, he really liked his rock. His like soft rock and you know mullet mullet rock, um, <laughs> which you know for a period I did get into yeah. things like Guns and Roses and Billy Idol and um, things like that. Rat, an extreme rat, yeah, like that. White snake, um, white snake, yeah. Yeah, yeah here we go again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, but not really to be honest, because my dad doesn't really listen to music. Um, he would play the piano because he. In, you know, he'd like he's good at sight reading, so he would play mm. things like Scott Joplin and just kind of, you know, upbeat stuff. And my mum she would um she would play the guitar occasionally and she would improvise stuff on the piano. So the piano was never like 
this this thing that never got played it was just like oh that's just what people do um mm. so naturally you know my brother played the piano i played the piano my sister didn't really play the piano um but she liked horses so she went off to the local horse riding <laughs> school and spent her weekends there um yeah so i don't know i mean we, we listen to the radio mm. but my mum is musical she's like inherently musical and um if you she actually has an album uh, from a long, long time ago in the 60s. This very kind of strange, oh, wow. um, like folk, I don't know, f- psychedelic folk rock. Oh, um, wow. Sounds interesting. Me, me Marianne, yeah. Um, and, yeah, but when we grew up, you know, she wasn't doing that. She was just looking after us a lot. Um, that one, I'm going to check out that album, <laughs> definitely, yeah. at some point. Um Two, I was, this probably gives you both an insight into the sort of nerdy kid that I was, but I went through a stage where I was obsessed with Scott Joplin's The Maple Leaf Rag. Oh, yeah. Because um, it's an amazing tune. What, what's that? Recently. Could you, I know it's probably hard to sing that, but <laughs> it's I even, probably know that. <laughs> I probably want to do it such bad justice. Don't know. Carry on. I was quite impressed with that rendition. I didn't think it was that far off. But yeah, no, it's just funny you mentioned because music evokes so many memories. So I'd sort of forgotten I was into that. But now I'm getting memories of me at school listening to Scott Joplin. No wonder I had no friends at school. But. Yeah, it's just funny. You can mention music sometimes or artists or something and it can take you back to a sudden moment Yeah, that Wasn't you there were like a different person. Somebody or... called, is it Michael Jarrett or somebody Jarrett? Somebody Jarrett. Oh, I don't know. He was like, a, he improvised piano. And there was a period, oh. just like you just mentioned that, just then listening to piano music that Michael Jarrett, isn't that his name? I think that anyway, does sound Michael familiar, Jarrett. Michael Jarrett. Yeah. He, I remember for a very small period, um, that was kind of in the car. We just didn't really have much music in the car. My mum was uh, my mum liked the Tango in the Night Fleetwood Mac album, um, and my sister had like one album, and I had one album that we were ma- we were allowed to buy in a petrol station on our way to, on a very <laughs> oh, long journey. Oh, it's so expensive in a petrol station. Well. <laughs> yeah, so you need a petrol station. And we were just like, can we have can we have some music of our own, please? <laughs> yeah. but like all that was available was like um, Jason Donovan. So Julia went for that. And I went for Bobby Brown, my prerogative. I was like, oh, oh that's cool. I don't know what it is. But wow. So, and I really loved that album. You know, I really, really loved it. But it was the only album I had. So, of course, I loved it. I had to love it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or at least I had to pretend to love it. Um, but I did love I did love Michael Jackson. Um, I was definitely into him. I think the bits that we heard off the radio, he always stuck out because it mm. was just amazing production and brilliant songwriting and just... You know, I just loved all his quirkiness. Um, so, yeah, I, got, I really got into bad. And I had mm. been known to wander around the garden in some very tight trousers that were made out of bin liners <laughs> and <laughs> string and sellotape and whatever I could to kind of look a bit bad. Like. Wow. And I even, I even went to Sunday school because I, I read, I actually read a book because I didn't like, I really hated reading when I was a kid. And... um I read this book of his called Moonwalker and mm. in it I realised that he was religious. So I decided in my wisdom at <laughs> nine or how old I was that I would go to um, 
I'd go to Sunday school because I'd heard there was a Sunday school in the village. And if I went to Sunday school, then I could convince God um, to let me speak to Michael. And then we had this <laughs> kind of triangle of discussion somehow. So I went back early to bed and my parents were like, what's she doing? And I was praying. I was like praying for so long. Dear God. I'd really, really like to speak to Michael Jackson now that I believe in you, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I didn't hear anything back. I was really disappointed. So I was like, oh. okay, maybe I have to go twice to convince God that I believe in him. Obviously, that's a bit weird just in itself. If I'm anyway. So I then went back and, yeah, learnt some nice stories, and but no response. Oh. So I never got to speak to Michael. Oh. I think Quite you're the only it. child... Yeah, I think you're the only child in history that's voluntarily gone to Sunday school. <laughs> well, that was it. It was two, de- two, two Sundays and I was done. I was like, okay, God's not keeping up his part of the bargain here. I'm not going anymore. <laughs> I've tried. I've done my bit. Exactly. I've tried. See, I told you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It clearly Proof doesn't exist point. if he's not replying to me. <laughs> oh, amazing. Hmm. That's so funny. Um, what did you, but you, I guess you were exposed to music going to Sunday school though with listening to the no not in a good way like that um, no there was nothing it was just like a little room in the village town like the village hall yeah um and you know there were stories about whatever they were you know those old testament stories yeah um I don't really remember much about it. I just remember no. play, praying and not getting any action. <laughs> Being disappointed. Yeah. It's funny you're talking about like music in the car because I think music, I think that is probably my first exposure to listening to, to music is very much mum and dad's choice. And we had, I think we had in the car, three tapes I can remember. Graceland by Paul Simon, yeah. which is quite, quite cool. Yeah. Like, we'll take that decent. The, be- the greatest hits of Cliff Richard, mm. less, Going downhill. less cool, yeah. less cool, and then the greatest hits of Jennifer Rush. Okay, well, that's a that's a yeah, so that's a bit left field. Mm. Hmm. Why was that then? Was that just because what was in the petrol station? Possibly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, we must well, think... pretend that we like music, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, must, yeah. we, we must choose all all uh, all genres of music. Um, we, I think we were living in Spain at the time, so it may possibly have been like the only sort of maybe British-American music yeah. that was available yeah. in Spanish petrol stations, possibly. Yeah. Um, oh, well, yeah. did, do you find they've had an influence in your life, Cliff Richard, Jennifer Rush and Paul Simon? <laughs> it's quite a combination. Cl- Jennifer, <laughs> Cliff Richard, no, very very quickly moved away from, from Cliff Richard. Although, yeah. weirdly, my wife, who I've then met many years later and now married to, is a big Cliff, massive Cliff Richard fan. Oh, okay. I see. So weirdly, maybe it did influence you in some subconscious level. It's pushed me towards a Cliff Richard fan. (laughs) Or that also, this is really embarrassing, and I've never told anyone this. I want to tell you guys, and obviously, I'll listen to the same time. Say it, you know, say it on a podcast. Yeah, the people. Um, I always tell people that my first ever gig that I went to was Bell and Sebastian at the Royal Albert Hall, which was a great gig. It was actually my second ever gig. Mm. It was the first one that I voluntarily went to because the first gig I ever went to was. I can't believe I'm saying this, was um, Cliff Richard at, I think it was a Wembley Arena. Okay. Um, and mm. I, uh, growing up, I was always like, I, I hate Cliff Richard. Mum and Dad <laughs> liked to remind me that I was dancing in the aisles for most of the oh. gig because I really enjoyed it. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> so, well, how old were you, you like, 
15 or yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was 27. Um, no, I was, yeah, eight or nine, okay. I think. Well, Seven, eight or nine. So. Yeah. I, I think that's you don't really have any choice, do you? No, no exactly. No. Exactly. No. But, um, One of my first, the first kind of big gig that I went to, I think, um, I think I was about 12 because I was going out with a boy called John. And um, it was Dire Straits at Nebworth. Wow, is it? okay. Um, wow. So, I mean, the only one that I liked was um, the Microwave Oven song. Yeah, um, <laughs> Money for Nothing. Money for Nothing, sorry, because <laughs> yeah. we just called it Microwave Oven. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so we really we did like that song. My brother was into Dire Straits. And we all went to, it must have been Nebworth um, yeah. when I was 12. And then I just remember getting, just kind of sneaking off with John and just kissing. And then stopping when I'm here, when I heard the microwave oven song. I was like, oh, 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 let's listen to this one. And then it was back to like early teenage longing. <laughs> yeah. oh, that's great. I'm, all, I'm going to call it the microwave oven song from now on. That's yeah. uh, actually a better title than, than Money for Nothing. Um, Charles, what was your first gig? Oh, Have we discussed this before? First gig? Oh, uh, Green Day, I think. Oh, come <gasps> on. What was your actual first gig? No, seriously. <laughs> yeah, come on. It was Cliff Richard, wasn't it? <laughs> no, it was Green Day at Brixton Academy. Oh, that's so okay, cool. Okay, so how so old were you then? You must have been Ooh, a bit older. I was, I was a bit older. I think I was 16. Okay. Yeah. So you were allowed to go to yeah. do yeah. yeah. That's really That cool. was quite a good gig, to be fair. Um, but cool. But, it's, yeah, it's... it's those first gigs are, are funny, aren't they? Because it's such a weird experience in a way. Like going to, I mean, like going to Brixton Academy and seeing thousands of people mm. watching a band. And I remember not wanting to to get in like the pit or anything. I wanted to watch. You know, I was really interested in watching the band, the craft, mm. of the playing and stuff. That always interested me more. Going back to your sort of musical journey, were you? Did you perform music from an early age? Um. I did. I did perform. Um, I. I mean, I. I did my grades. So I suppose doing your exams mm. was kind of that was my first yeah. experience of performing. Um, and yeah, I mean, playing playing the piano, singing whatever came to mind, uh, writing the odd song for the school. You know, like uh, very early on, actually, there was some kind of competition. You know. Um, write a song for this or that and I did write a song a kind of a carol um, that the school choir ended up singing and I think I conducted it though it seems a bit unrealistic now but I do remember <laughs> kind of conducting it I didn't I wouldn't have known how to really do that but um, but you know we did have a really great music um, teacher Mrs Oddie um, and she she really encouraged me um, I learned lots of instruments. I learned the piano, I learned the clarinet, I learned the cello. Um, you know, I liked playing on the drums. I didn't have lessons. I tried to play the trumpet and failed. Um, but I just was always interested in and very comfortable in making a racket. And it just was part of my identity. So, yeah. I mean, I didn't like performing when, you know, f I hated doing that thing where your mum and dad would say, oh, Imogen, would you play us that? Oh, God, yeah, you know, yeah, I'd be yeah. like, no, do I have to? But the worst one would be, Imogen, could you play us that nice song that you've written? And I, I really didn't like singing that because I felt like that was my private space with mm. that I'm writing about this boy or whatever it might be. And I, I didn't like doing that. Um, but when I got older, obviously, I got used to it. But I did, um, the thing that I mostly enjoyed was when I... Um, when I was 12, 
I went to boarding school. Um, my mum and dad went their separate ways and we went to boarding school. And they had loads of pianos there and not very many people who seemed to play them. Um, a very awkward, um, but very encouraging now that I look back on it, um, music teacher called Mr Dodge. And he, yeah, just didn't kind of, people just didn't want to do music. I hope he never listens to these podcasts. I, do, <laughs> I, I, I feel bad. I feel bad now in hindsight. Um, yeah. But at the time, he, he just wasn't somebody you wanted to be being taught music with. Um, but I realise he's just kind of a little bit awkward and he was very passionate about his job. And it's a bit sad, isn't it? Now that you older, you see, oh, bless, they really just love their job and they were yeah, desperately yeah. trying to teach us. And we were just awful. Um, just really mean to them and made their lives hell. So anyway, but they had all these pianos and um, I just loved to play there all through the night if I could. But I had to get up because we had a curfew, obviously, to get to school, get to sleep. Um, but in the beginning at boarding school, I didn't, I, I wasn't very well received, shall we say. Um, and so I spent a lot of time on my own trying to avoid certain people um, in this room, in these rooms. And one kind of real moment was there was one particular girl called Lucy Bradley, who we later became good friends. But she was also she was going through a tough time for for other reasons, um, like really, really tough times. But as with a bully, you you don't know that you just think that yeah. they're awful to you and it's all about you. And yeah. um, so but she would kind of creep down and sit outside my piano room um, and would listen and once or twice I caught her, I kind of came out all of a sudden, like to go to the toilet or something. And she'd be like, Ooh, and just kind of walk off, awkward, like, pretend she didn't see me type thing. And I was just like, I wonder what she's doing. And then one day uh, she just came in um, and she just sat on the filing cabinet looking out the window. And I said, uh, I didn't say anything. She just looked at me and she was like, can I sit here? And I was like, Okay. Um, and I just played the piano and I was like singing quite weird stuff um, because, you know, I was getting, I was going through some weird stuff myself. And I actually, for a period of time, kind of thought I could communicate with the devil. Um, right. Like I would literally go into a trance and I'd be like thinking I was talking to the devil. I had more luck with the devil than I did. I was going to say, did, 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 you, did you get the yeah, call yeah, from yeah. Michael Jackson at any point? Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, so there we go. Um, I was obviously with the, the wrong camp. Um, <laughs> maybe God saw that. He's like, I'm yeah, not involved in yeah. you. Um, putting my name down. So, yeah, I just, um, I went into these kind of chances. Anyway, and then at the end of that, I was like, look, look at my watch. And I was like, we better go because we've we got to go in now. And then we just walked back together. We didn't say anything. Um, but from that moment on, it, life was just different at school. So, um, yeah, music. Uh, transformed my life then really um, when I realised I could that the thing that I love to do um, could help me in my life like help me get through yeah. life and um, that people enjoyed listening to it even that weird or, stuff that I did was just like God knows what I was playing or well, the devil knows what I was playing even the devil trancey stuff yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but could also could also help other people because clearly yeah. it helped Lucy exactly, as well yeah. to a way that she felt she could mm. be closer to you so yeah. was that a moment where you thought oh actually performing could be a thing not just for me but you know other people could get enjoyment and help I never I never ever like projected myself in the future and thought I'm going to be that mm. thing of performing artist um 
I know, I actually still very rarely think about the future. I actually find it really hard. And yeah, which maybe is a bad thing because if I did think about it, sometimes I think about the future when I'm thinking about things like the music ecosystem. But when it's to do with me and where mm. I'll be, I've, I just can't do it. I know some people are like, well, I want to be like this in 10 years time, oh, yeah. this and this. And I'm like, I have no idea. Um, and I can't, I can't even entertain the idea. Um, so, yeah, I never really thought of that. But I did like singing for my friends. There was another person that um, I did used to play piano with at school. And I won't mention her name. Um, and we were good friends. You know, she was a couple of years older than me. And um, anyway, my first kind of proper, my first boyfriend at school was this older boy. He was quite a lot older. He was in the top. When I look okay. back at it now, I'm like, that is not cool. Mm. But at the time, you know... I just thought he was cool and sexy and wore a leather jacket and whatever and listened to, what did he listen to? Sid Barrett. And um, trousers made of bin liners. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> and he had this like, oh, this is telling you too much. He had this weird kind of den underground <laughs> that he somehow managed to get because he was in the sixth form, which he had his guitars in and his amps in oh, and yeah. would just listen to this Sid Barrett stuff. Um, it was weird. I yeah, have to say. <laughs> it wasn't cool. The whole thing isn't. was just not cool. I was way too young. He was way too old. Um, anyway, this person um, really liked this this other my boyfriend, um, and they were seeing each other at the same time as oh. I was seeing oh. this person, and I didn't know about it obviously. But I, we were all kind of pals, oh. and I just didn't see it coming. And then somebody, you know, one of my friends was like, "Imi." Um, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but I saw blah, 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 blah. And I was just devastated because I'd never had to deal with anything like that before. And I was really angry. Um, But also, you know, just embarrassed and just, you know, all those things. Um, And so he got, I remember he got us on the roof of this. We used to like smoke on the roof of this building, of his sixth form building. Uh, I was 12, by the way. This is happening when I was 12. Um, Was on the roof of this building and he was like, look, we can work this out. We, I could maybe we could just like all be together, and I was like, "What?" And then I think I just left, and then there was like a few bricks through some windows and stuff like that, and then, um, <laughs> and then we were. I just decided this was when music really saved me. Another time mm. it really saved me. So um, we had these morning meetings at school, and I would be. Um, I would sometimes say to the headmistress that I'd like I'd like to play something. Um, sometimes it'd be like a piece of Mozart or whatever I was learning. But I just liked it because I didn't like being quiet in morning meetings because um, you have to be quiet for like 20 minutes. And it's really hard because it's mm. a Quaker school. Sorry, I forgot to mention that. Um, so I was, playing, I was playing this piece and then I transformed it into this song called Dance with the Devil. Um, (laughs) and it was quite clearly about these two and everyone in the school knew it and they all stared at them like everyone in the whole school was like staring at them Um, I didn't name any names I didn't have to Um, (laughs) and it was really good they were totally shamed and the teachers were like what's going on Um, and then discovered and then he got kicked out of the school Um, and that was that was that Um, wow yeah so La la la. Revenge through music. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what the song was like now, but maybe it wasn't like that at all, but that's how I remember it. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, writing that was a cathartic experience for you, though. It must have been, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Can't remember it, but 
yeah. Yes, but it was probably terrible. And I'm glad there's no copies of it. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you start to sort of, obviously you said you've played quite a lot of classical kind of music and, and instruments. When did you start sort of discovering technology and using technology in your music? Um, I always liked making beats and I didn't actually really like playing the pieces I had to play for school. Um, but I did like the fact they got me out of some really boring lessons. So I, that's why I started doing so many was because, oh, if I do that, then I'll get out of another lesson. I'll do that one. Yeah. Them. But I did, there was something about, I did always want to write for orchestra. Um, like I really, I wanted to learn the different sections of the orchestra. Um, even though if you write, if you work with the piano, you do learn about lots of counterpoint and harmony and, you know, all kinds of things. And you've got both hands working. So um, that was always really good. But I just, yeah, I learned the clarinet because why not I learned the cello because why not um it's much easier than the violin and I was quite good at them I wasn't like amazing because I didn't practice but I did I did all right um and then I did my theory because you have to do your theory if you want to get past grade five and then but, but basically as soon as I got to boarding school I stopped all of that um but I did in the meantime while I was practicing these pieces that I didn't really like I would kind of practice in the style of so I'd be like you know, oh, here's okay. a bit of Bach do 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 that I have yeah. to do and, and then I'll just like improvise in the style of so my parents think that I'm still uh practicing. But it was still good, you know, and it was still like good finger work, you know, doing. Um but other than that, I would like to like get a double cassette recorder and record, you know, me playing the pots and pans with you know, from the kitchen, just uh playing some beats and then I would like do some stuff on the piano and then I'd sing some stuff or beatbox or whatever. And I'd make this hissy mess after recording from one side to the other. So quickly my parents kind of went, Okay, maybe we need to get her something else. So my gran, who had the money, um, bought me a keyboard. And that's when I kind of could start programming beats. Um not like cool beats, Samba. but just whatever. Exactly. Like <laughs> there was a few presets that I really loved, but yeah. you could actually create your own beats. Um, and then, and then when I went to this boarding school, they had an Atari computer, um, which Mr. Dodge had bought for the school, but didn't know how to use, um, or didn't tell me how to use it anyway. But he did figure out that I liked it, and so he would often, um, you know, we'd have a little row in school. Um, this is when I was like 13, 14, doing my, I was doing my, uh, my GCSEs now and I was the only one doing GCSE and we, I would go in, we'd have an argument, um, cause I was annoying and he was annoying and then he would send me into the cupboard to be like, Oh, just leave me alone, go in the cupboard. do some s- stuff. Um, but he knew that I loved it, you know, otherwise, but there's me thinking, ha ha ha, he doesn't know that. But of course he did. So I went in there and I read this enormous manual or as, mu- as much as I needed to, to make a little sound out of it. And then just started to create very long, improvised kind of horrible sounding things because they only had this sound module. I didn't know what I was doing, but they did, there was no way to record voice. So they were just long instrumental pieces. Um, and then with that, I, and, but I also wrote songs, but I couldn't record them. Um, but then w- when I went to the Brit school, um, which was when I was 16, 17, um, to do my A-level, or GCSE, oh, sorry, A-level B-tech thing, um, then that's, they had a recording studio there. And they had a great teacher, music teacher called Gary Hayes, who I fancied massively because I just <laughs> mistook kind of admiration and respect for fancying. Um <laughs> 
and just really, really loved him. Uh, what was his name? Right mess. Um, <laughs> and it was terribly flustered and awkward uh, being around him for different reasons. Um, anyway, but I wrote a song about him um, called Come Here Boy. And that song got me my record deal. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> Um, thanks to Nick Kershaw, who was who produced it, because my mm. manager, who there was a there was a man at school who was like, I mean, I did like so I did. They had a Cubase mm. si- like a music system system there, um, and so I could do that with the like the electronic sounding stuff, and then I could record my voice over the top, and then I'd like bring in friends to play bits because it was a music arts media school, mm. um, and then at the end of every uh, those two years, we had to put some stuff on a CD that was our coursework so I produced um, and recorded a couple of tracks and I realised I really loved it Um, and one of them was quite good it was called Missing You and that that song my this this guy called Mark Wood who was working in the school heard and saw me perform at a couple of the end of year performances and just kind of thought well she's got something Um, so he used to manage no his partner Mickey Modden um, used to manage Nick Kershaw in the 80s and they got together uh, as a kind of double act management team and Mark wanted to see if I was any good I, I suppose in the studio so he put he got me in there with Nick Kershaw and Nick kind of turned this like eight minute song into a three and a half minute song or a four minute song and I nobody had ever done that before no one's ever like taught me how to write a song before so yeah. That was really, really great. I learned more from him than my whole entire, like, five years of doing, like, music stuff at school. Um, And from there, yeah, I got that record deal. So thanks to Nick Kershaw, who I love. He's such a lovely man. Um, Oh, amazing. Such a sweetheart, yeah. So did did the teacher know that the song was about him? No. Or does he know? He does now. He does now, yeah. Um, <laughs> because of an awkward, another, I'm very awkward, aren't I? But um, I'm using awkward a lot. <laughs> Awkwardly. Um, I, was in, I was in Australia in Sydney, I think, and I'd heard that he had moved to Sydney. And I, just before I went on stage, I was like, don't tell the story of that song because he might be in the audience. <laughs> this was before everyone started YouTubing everything. Um, and lo and behold, he was. And I, but as I was oh. saying the story, I was like, stop telling the story. He's going to, I bet he's in the audience. This is awful. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. And I just carried on. Um, anyway, he was in the audience with his girlfriend. Um, and he came backstage. And it was just so embarrassing. Um, you know, I suddenly felt 15 again and just didn't know where yeah. to look. Um, anyway, he just said he was very flattered and whatever. It's fine. Oh, that's... That's nice. It's nice. It's a nice ending to the story, even if it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really and now awkward. and now we like totally cool with each other. We yeah, like, yeah. you know, he he shows up on some streams. I do, and I message him, and he's he's, yeah, he's nice. Oh, that's great. So yeah. from record when you start, obviously you were recording. You started recording a lot more, and you did the album and stuff. Did when did you start kind of getting into performing those songs though? And was and I was going to ask you, was it difficult kind of uh, creating that? those songs for a live environment because i know sometimes mm. i mean i've i remember reading this years ago when radiohead recorded okay computer they they had to sort of completely go back in the studio and rework all those songs for the live environment was that difficult process to do to to create them as live live songs yeah it was um i mean before i signed a record deal it would be me and my insonic keyboard 
Yeah. I had this like Ensonic TS12. And I would make all my songs on it and I would like be pressing buttons and trying to get things to come in. And then I'd have all these presets saved so that I could go and play that with that rhythm then and that rhythm. So I was always kind of trying to do that, but with a key, with a keyboard that just wouldn't, you couldn't really do anything yeah. on it. And like, you know, move the distortion sound in it and thinking that was really cool. Um, but I couldn't loop or do anything like that. But then, yeah, I Megaphone was my first record and that was finished when I was like 18 or 19. And I got a band together. My band was amazing. Um, I had two uh, people who are pretty famous now in music. So one was Leo Abrahams, who's this really talented um, musician, guitarist, produces tons of bands. Like if you look up what he's done, he's done loads of amazing albums. And then my keyboard player was um, John Hopkins, who's like amazing and writes such beautiful music. And I just... Every time I listen to something he's done, I'm like, oh, I'm worthless. Um, <laughs> because he's just so good. At the attention to detail, just beautifully sonic craft- crafting. Um, anyway, so they were in my band. Um, but actually, uh, well, maybe. I'll, well, John didn't actually ever have a keyboard before. He had only played on the piano. So we bought him. Um, what did we buy him? Something like a Korg, some Korg thing. Um, and that was his first kind of time in, with with synths. So yeah, that was my band, and yeah, it didn't sound anything like the record, that's mm. for sure. Um, but it wasn't that 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 album wasn't that hard actually in a way to recreate because it did it did have a lot of guitars and drums and mm. um, so actually most of it most of it you could do. It was just a bit like a you know there's a, always a lot of detail in my albums even yeah. from that even from those early ones where I didn't produce it. I mean, I helped, obviously, but um, but it's still very dense. So it was always a bit of like, run over here, do that, press that thing. Da, da, da. Mm. It's always been like that um, with mm. me in performance. Um, and then sadly, you know, we did the UK toilet tour, just like, you know, we loved, we enjoyed it. Just yeah. driving around in a van, whatever, um, sleeping it's in tough. a van. Um, and playing these gigs where, you know, most people didn't really like it, um, but when we when we came to London, you know, we played the Camden, the Falcon, and these kinds of places, and yeah, it, I was I was able to like walk into uh, those those bars, and they'd be like, "Oh, Imogen, come in, come in," you know, whoever. I never had to wait, I never had to queue, um, never had to pay. They just liked me. I was kind of in that early Camden scene when you knew what bands were out there because there was only like five at a time yeah. that were, you know, now you just can't keep up. Um, so, yeah, that was that. But then Fru Fru, very different um, mm. because it's all, you know, studio-based. Um, I mean, there are obviously guitars and things like that in it, but most of the time it was just Guy and I with our samplers yeah. and my guitar, and we're just like, we've got these, yeah, just tech um and i even played the guitar sometimes which um i don't know how i did because i don't play guitar but i did somehow <laughs> manage to get through it and like played some pretty good guitar um and then with my own stuff speak for yourself um that was really hard uh because i'd completely self-indulged on the album and produced it myself and it just was had less so much stuff in it yeah um a really wide variety of sounds um and I and I was on my own and I didn't have a band and it was really hard uh, to do that live. And I I remember my first gig of that was at the Bedford um, in Balham, you know, mm-hmm. that used to be the Cashmere Club, but then it became 
the Ball and Bedford. Anyway, so I was there and I was like, I practiced and practiced and practiced. And I was just about to do the second song, which is called Just For Now. And it had loads of, loads of uh, like repeating vocals. Um, and I was really trying to do all the looping and bringing all the sounds, trying to make it sound exactly like the record. And I just couldn't do it. I literally started about five or six times. And in the end, I was like, okay, I can't finish this one. So I'm just going to sing it on the piano. And everyone was like, cool, don't worry about it. We love it. We don't care how you sing it. Just yeah. as long as you sing the song. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I was like, ah, okay, um, fine. So then I just realised, yeah, that it doesn't have to be like all or nothing. Um, you could just do a live version. Um, and it's never going to be like the record because the minute you try and do something live that sounds like something on the record, you're either using a ton of backing track yeah. and auto-tune um, or you are, um, well, not necessarily auto-tune, but I like grid edit my vocals. Um, so, but I don't use auto-tune, but maybe I should live because I, when I listen back to a lot of my recordings, I'm like, you really can't sing. Um, I don't ever practice. So, yeah, and then I kind of got to know some looping stuff. I bought um, an electrics repeater because my friend um, Mitch Gerber in Switzerland, he taught me how to use, how to do looping when I was about 20. And so I, I was able to, you know, do looping and record my own voice. And and then just for now, I actually ended up becoming this kind of looped vocal performance, um, which which was really great, actually. It was just super, super fun to do. But then in the end, one day, my parrot, as I called it, broke down. Um, <clears throat> and I was in Cambridge. Uh, I was talking about Mr Dodge, actually, at the time. And um, I was I was like, I can't play this song because my parrot's not working. Um, and they were like, we'll be your parrot. And oh, I was like, amazing. Okay. So I, like, taught them how to do the parts. Amazing. I was imagining I was Mr Dodge. Um, <laughs> and... And they did it really amazingly. So I just, I mean, it is quite a simple song. Wait, because I've only got four loopers that I had on this one machine. So I, I was just literally conducting them as if I was pressing them in and out. And they did such an amazing job. So from that moment on, I always did it like that. Um, the crowd always sang along. And it was really great. Super, super fun. We always did it as an encore. Yeah, I mean, I That's saw amazing. you in Brighton and Zoe Keating was um, supporting oh, yeah. you, the comedian. And um, I guess that was my first sort of, sort of time I'd seen people using loopers live and, and looping stuff and remember being blown away by the, the, the skill yeah, that, involved in doing that. It's just amazing, you know. Um, yeah. We bonded over that because um, Zoe uh, Zoe and I met because um, a friend of mine, Ryan Obermeyer, who did some of my artwork, he was like, you would really love um, this woman's music. No, you would really love this band's music, a band called Rasputina. Mm. Um, and I, I have to say, it wasn't my, it wasn't really my cup of tea. But I was very intrigued about Zoe. Um, she looked amazing. She sounded amazing. Mm. And and I followed on the link to her own music, and I was like, wow, she's really good. I love her music. Mm. So I bought a CD, and um, you know, came to my and I put it on straight away. And I was listening to it, and I was like, God, it's so beautiful. Um, and I, I found a little email on it and I wrote her a message. I said, thank you. Your music's really beautiful. Thank you so much. And she was like, oh, I thought it was you when I was writing. Because she just does it all herself. Oh, she's wow. always been hyper independent. Yeah. Um, wow. And she's like, she wrote me back saying, if you ever need any live looping, just let me know. And I was like, I do need some live looping <laughs> from you. And so like three weeks later, because I was about to go on tour for Speak for Yourself, um, 
and we ended up like meeting each other and working for about four or five days just trying to figure out how we're going to do the songs um and then we did and uh, we had such a great time she's such an amazing woman I love her company and we just had a blast total blast um toured all around the states and then a bit of Europe I think we might have gone to Australia together and yeah I think she's wonderful she's such a dear friend um she's been a complete rock in my life since then I just wish she lived a bit closer yeah yeah it was a great combination as well with you with the two of you as well I think it was you know made for a great a great evening yeah sorry Jim you were going to say something I was just going to say it's interesting because obviously the start of your music journey came out of isolation almost in a way and, and you know playing music on your own but, but you talk so passionately in the last 15 minutes about collaboration with people are you, are you are you a fan of collaborating with other people yeah for the longest time um i was kind of under the impression that you know kind of unhealthy um belief that if you're not sad and depressed you can't write anything so mm. whenever anything went wrong in my life um my manager and various people would be like oh, don't worry, you'll make a good song out of it. And I was like, yeah, maybe. Um, so I kind of, I kind of, from very young, that, that was like 17, that was the kind of attitude. And that, was, that actually really negatively impacted my life because I was like seeking out kind of dangerous or like bad situations that would cause me sadness um, yeah. because I kind of associated that with my talent. I was like, well, if I have if something goes wrong or I self-destruct in this way or I whatever, um, then then I'm going to have something to write about. I mean, so, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm still upset about that. <laughs> um, but then it, basically when I, um, so I have always kind of worked alone and kind of gone through these, you know, these dips and mm. just kind of, powered through them because I'm like it's okay this is what you have to do if you're an artist you have to go through yeah. these dark spells and be alone and wallow in your sadness um and then I wanted to create I wanted to make music in a different way and not have all these machines um and not have so much weight of uh, of gear to tour with and, and so much setup time I wanted to find a way that I could like just make make recordings and sounds um just by moving my my hands around um and so i started this project um which now we call the Mimu gloves but um yeah. the reason i'm talking about that is because that was the first real intense collaboration other yeah. than with guy um with with frou-frou but it was when i realized oh people in my life you know i like people in my life it yeah, makes yeah. me happy yeah. <laughs> and it's okay to be happy I can still make music and I made this song called Me The Machine which I really loved even though there were lots of people around me and I was really happy um, and so yeah it was just a from then on I've just wanted to work with lots of people and I started hiring my team uh, I have I have a you know a team now there's about eight of us kind of doing various things and then there's these different projects now I've kind of spun off and doing their own thing like Me Mew and this other one called the Creative Project, uh, Creative Passport, and I'm in the middle of another one that will probably last for the rest of my life called A Imogen, which is augmented Imogen, which is um, developing oh. very slowly, um, kind of inquiring into what would be my AI 
itself. Oh, wow. Um, just through discussions in a chair over there, uh, a kind of tech top chair that I chat to my fans, much like we're doing now. Um, wow. They ask me a question and I answer it. And it obviously it ends up being this quite often emotional discussion um, with my fans, which some of that gets ingested into, well, kind of um, put into digestible formats uh, of just like text Q, Q&A that then my it's basically a chatbot at the moment. Um, we we put into this knowledge store so that fans can ask a question and then AI spits out this uh, oh, AI spits out this answer. But ultimately, we've we've got big plans for AI imaging. Um, yeah. But yesterday we had her, no, not yesterday. A couple of days ago we had her first or there. I don't know if it, what sex AI imaging mm. is. Oh. I, I keep referring to it as her right now, but maybe in time it will tell me otherwise. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, we had its first year birthday and my friend Carlotta came over who's the CEO of the Creative Passport she came over and gave me a bit of birthday cake while I was live on the chat and oh, I got amazing. really emotional because I was like yeah. this is we're like birthing something into the world mm. and all these discussions um and all our fears are are all addressed here in this space and and even my like uh, it's basically been therapy for the past maybe yeah, past year, exactly. I've done 40 of these sessions and they're often like an hour and a half long. Um, and we talk about everything. Like I've talked about my sister's death in there. That happened like nearly, well, a year and a half ago now. And we talk about um, sex, we, or lack of it. Um, we talk about loads of things, you know, why can't I get into the studio? Or we talk about a new idea. or, And it's very emotional often, but there's something just so incredibly, like a next stage freeing of this relationship with my fans that I've always had this kind of permission to be me. I've always mm-hmm. felt this complete, like, arms of support. No matter what you create, even if we know, even if we don't like it, we don't care because we love that you do what you love. And we know that like maybe half of them are going to be hits for like in terms of how they're going to like them. And it might be another half for a different set of people, but they don't have to like everything, you know, but they and we have had this relationship for 20 years or yeah, 20 years. Well, no, since, since I started writing Speak for Yourself, whenever that was, I was 25. So nearly 20 years. Um, and yeah, it's a really long relationship. Um, so now it's kind of, kind of come forward in this direct chat exchange of ideas and conversation and and real like emotional outbursts um, that is feeding this AI. <laughs> it's just tons of material that ultimately we want to be able to extract and extrapolate personality. We're doing personality tests with one of the fans, this guy called Billsy Bainbridge. His dad is like now getting involved and helping us develop the personality wow. side by asking all these thousands of questions that they've got together to profile it um yeah so it's really fun um anyway so collaboration is absolutely at the heart of everything i do now but for a very long time it was um i kind of stayed away from people um because i was worried that i wouldn't be able to write <laughs> that is absolutely fascinating like that sounds like the ultimate collaboration because you're collaborating with the people that love you most your fans i can't imagine that is a sort of relationship that a lot of performing artists have with their fans that sounds quite unique i mean there are there definitely are there there are lots out there um but yeah maybe it's not the everyday i think there's like two different camps aren't there there's like the ultra well even though i was gonna say like thinking about people like taylor swift they're very she's very engaged with her fans Mm. and they have like listening parties 
and stuff. But um, yeah, for me, the, kind of bringing them along in the journey, the creative journey, whatever it is, whether it's developing an AI or, you know, a piece of music or just bringing them in on the conversation and where I'm at. It's also kind of selfishly um, takes away some of the anxiety mm. because it's like they've already heard a bit. They like it. So that's good. I'll keep going because I just need I need a lot of um, I need encouragement. I need confidence building, yeah. you know, and they, they really help me with that. So, yeah, deeply grateful for the for their um, for their love yeah, um, well, and their support. I, I over love the years. Well, I think, you know, it's, I think all creative people need moments of validation in what they're doing. I think it's, it's really, you know, otherwise we we tend to dry up a little bit, I think, sometimes. And I think that is a really important part of being a, being, being a creative. I mean, I, I know I certainly do, and I'm sure Jim does as well, um, needing that, you know, and seeking out that validation sometimes. Um, and, yeah, I think it's really important. So, I mean, that I remember going back going back to when I think we were recording Ellipse and back in the day when uh, we had MySpace and you were doing videos of, of putting that album together. And I remember just finding it fascinating, just that peek behind the curtain as a fan. Yeah. It's just really interesting to see how, you know, someone's process and, they, and how they create. And I always thought that was quite unique at the time. And it's great that you've extended that. And now it's even more of a collaborative ideas. Mm. I know you do your improv sessions as well with um, with your fans. And obviously your latest song, um, Last Night of an Empire, has kind of come out of that as well, which is yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah. And there's, there's another song that's, I just love it so much. And I just desperately want to finish it, but I'm also a bit scared because I don't want to mess it up. Um, and it's called Things Have Not Been Easy. And it's just, it just happened. I moved the piano. So it's quite a big moment for me because when I, I go back, well, actually at the moment I'm I'm in Hackney, obviously, because of, because everything since lockdown, my life just, like everyone's just completely changed. Um, so we live here mainly and we, and I didn't go back to the roundhouse. Um, well, I, I did actually sometimes go back to the roundhouse. I had a night when Scout was with her dad on a Tuesday night. So I'd do those go to the roundhouse or sometimes she'd come with me and sleep on the floor um and but I was kind of in the corner where the piano has always been that ever since I was a child because this is the house I grew up in um that I basically got a massive publishing deal when I was 30 and I was able to buy the house so so I now own the house um that I grew up in and in the corner is the piano and it's never really moved um and then one day I was like why is the piano in the corner of the room I'm the only one in the house. Nobody's. Why isn't it in the middle of the room looking out the window? So I moved it to the middle of the room and looked out the window. And then all of a sudden I had this view of the fields and some horses, you know, not ours, but there they are. Um, and the sun was setting and it was just such a beautiful evening. And I, I started singing this whatever melody, just improvising. And then I was like, oh, I really like that. Um, and it was just a da 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 it's quite a long stretch like 16 bar phrase um and i just did the clicks and i put some piano chords behind it and then and i was doing it i was just like so just so enraptured by the view and the whole environment um that i i got really emotional and then this and then I was just kind of ready to say things have not been easy. You know, things have been the worst they've ever been, like literally for many reasons. Um, maybe not since I was a child because ch- childhood is extremely difficult. Um, but as an adult, it's been, you know, that was really tough. Um, 
and it just caught a moment and all the fans were watching it and the sun was there and the piano and I just felt like I'd been help I'd helped myself at that point um and I feel this song is going to help me when I finish it as well um and and hopefully lots of other people who <laughs> felt exactly the same way um so there's something about that song it's really special I keep talking about it, which makes it harder to finish because it's mm. like, oh, she's bigging it up now. Um, <laughs> but it is, it's got something that is very precious. Um, and it's just going to be mainly vocals, piano, very simple production, not going to have any whiz bangs. Um, just, just really raw. Um, yeah, it's really beautiful. So I really want to finish that. But that, that came out of, of those sessions. There's loads of ideas that come out of sessions. In fact, I know that's... It's yeah. amazing, isn't it, that you know you've been doing those and and you're it's, you're creating all this material. It's yeah. just a wonderful thing, I think, that you'd be able yeah. to do that. And, and again, about the power of improvisation as well, and how amazing that can be. Jim, it's us again, and uh, we've got some big news. We have indeed, uh, Giles. I can't believe I'm saying this. We've written a book, a book about blank moments based on this very podcast. Yeah, we've been recording this podcast for a while now. And as we've been doing, we've realised that everyone has these difficult blank moments. All our wonderful guests that we have on the podcast and our listeners get in touch with us all the time to tell us about their own situations, their own experiences of blank moments. And sometimes that can be from a personal life, from their career, the relationships they're in. Or maybe it's a public situation. Yeah, I mean, it really, it's one of those terms that can be applied to anything. Social anxiety, imposter syndrome, just sort of generally being off form, having an identity crisis. I mean, it's all part of the human condition. And yet we all get thrown off from time to time and sort of made to feel a bit helpless. Yeah, so the book is made up of all these different chapters that sort of concentrate on these various themes that come up in the pod. So whether it's uh, public failure, social anxiety, fear, mental health, grief all the things that our amazing guests have talked about on the podcast. Yeah, I mean, and those guests include Louis Theroux, David Harbour, Reggie Hunter, Dawn French, Rachel Paris, Amanda Abington, John Ronson, Rufus Sewell, Gary Lineker, all these people that really opened up to us about these difficult moments. And what we've done is we've dived into them, um, explained how we relate to them, talked a little bit about our own experiences and almost gone on a journey of this discovering blank moments and how they've helped us and we hopefully we take the reader on a journey with us. Yeah, there's loads of stuff in there for everybody, I think. It's a bit memoir, it's a bit self-help, and there's lots of interactive bits in there as well, so you can do your own gratitude list, and there's tips on uh, if you're having sleeping problems. So all different things that you can take out of the book. And where can people get hold of this book, Jim? Well, so it comes out in March in 2021, but it's available to pre-order right now from Amazon, waterstones.com, and hive.co.uk. Yeah, it's, I'm really looking forward to everyone getting their hands on it. And uh, hopefully lots of people will be able to identify their own blank moments. And you never know what you might find out. Because you can go out and seek music and find it. But actually, it's quite nice to let music find you sometimes. And yeah. more often than not, it will at the right time when you need it yeah. you know, in your life. It yeah, does sort it. of does happen yeah like that. i can't i'm not like um i can't i've never been able to ingest like tons of music mm. i can't i i really don't like hearing music in the background um i i yeah i don't like it i don't like hearing sound in the background i just like peace <laughs> if mm. i can get it um 
so yeah but I, I would I guess I do go through phases like if I'm on tour and I'm unable to write I love listening to music I listen to music all the time um but when I'm at home and the kind of possibility of making music is around and I've also just like being on tour is like a holiday because you just can't do anything else you know you just got to get up you've got your schedule for the day maybe you do some interviews in the morning or you know or you're with scout um doing family stuff but there's just something really lovely and freeing and kind of holiday-like about going on tour um Mm. because you accept that you're doing that work and it's validated by the people seeing you do it um whereas at home it's kind of way more like amalgamous kind of soupy that you i am working (laughs) all the time but it doesn't show itself in the same way um so you end up working way more because you you don't have any way to show for it um because it's it's often you know not music um, it's music related like music tech related mm. because I'm just I really want to this um, creative passport thing is taking up a lot of my time which is a, a kind of digital ID for music makers to help us move into Web3 space really even though we're, we don't actually have much integration at all in blockchain but that's where it began um, oh. because we need an identity to to kind of be a centre point for our data self um to be there 24 seven for people to be able to find things they need on our bit for, for us to be able to contact us, to be able to know whatever they need to know, to be able to find it and for services to have no excuse not to pay us or to, you know, put a correct biography, for example. So I'm I'm really passionate about that. And I, I just, um, I can't really let that go. Um, And once I've let that go and that's kind of up and running, hopefully in the next couple of years, it will be more effective and integrated and standard a kind of a standard for music makers then i think i'll have i'll be really ins- really kind of inspired to make music knowing that when i release music it's not just going to be adding to the problem um mm. that it's going to be empowered with data and um discoverability and my life will just become easier <laughs> well Fantastic. imogen thank you so much your time it's been today. such a joy yeah pleasure thanks guys no thank you thank so you. much and thanks for yeah thanks for accommodating us and everything today so yeah, yeah really appreciate it it's been a pleasure me sorry so i thought it was the i thought it was the opening title so i got distracted um, <laughs> no, this is the end bit this is the end yeah. sorry i got my my wife miranda was messaging me and i i did got distracted um there you go that is a very unprofessional uh ending i apologize but what a fantastic conversation that was with imogen heap absolutely fascinating awesome. what a fascinating individual as well and mm. talking about all the ai stuff and the uh yeah, just I just thought really, really, really interesting person. Some brilliant stories from from back in the day as well. And uh, yeah. yeah, a real pleasure to talk to her. Yeah, it was brilliant. Uh, I've been a massive fan of Imogen for a long time. I think I said on the pod with her that I went and saw her in Brighton. That was back in the day with Michelle. When we before, I think Michelle might have been pregnant with Eli. So it's, we're talking 14 years ago. Wow. Uh, it was a great gig. And I remember, you know, being blown away by her and um yeah great person and really interesting and uh, yeah we could have talked for a lot longer i mean there was loads of stuff where we sort of 
we talked about it that's going to be in the Patreon yeah. bit, which is, you know, really interesting about this AI stuff and the technology going forward and that this ongoing collaboration with the fans, which yeah. has always been really interesting. I think I said on the pod as well, uh, when her, the follow-up to Speak to Yourself Ellipse came out, it was she did like these videos on... Well, in the process of recording it, all these videos on MySpace. And remember that? <laughs> Good old MySpace. Um, yeah, but like kind of before, almost before kind of YouTube, I guess, as well, to a certain extent, yeah. like doing videos to camera um, of her in her studio. She, she talked a bit about like she bought the roundhouse, which was her um, family home, yeah. and she set up a studio in there and recorded that album. And she would play little bits of it, like little riffs and little piano bar, you know, bars of piano piece and like bits of beats and stuff and it was really interesting to see like i say behind the curtain and see that and then that collaboration with the fans you know you were able to sort of message her and it was amazing so that 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 has come come full circle she's been doing that you know she's doing that even more and more you know um it's just really interesting so yes yeah, a, a very interesting artist yeah um and her music's great well i think as well someone that's always clearly been ahead of the curve with all that kind of mm. stuff talking about you know back then and even now with the ai stuff i think someone that's just able to it's funny she was saying I don't I don't look ahead in the future for things for myself, but actually with the work she does, I think she is a, a step or two yeah. ahead of, of everyone else, which is yeah. fascinating, and it's why she's such an interesting character mm. and just obviously massively talented as well, and just really lovely, really really nice yeah. energy about her as well. So yeah, really easy to talk to. Um, so thank yeah. you, Imogen, so much for coming on and chatting. That was uh, I know she fits us into a tight schedule, and you know we yeah. do really really appreciate that. So absolutely fantastic. I really really enjoyed that. Yeah, it was great. It was great. Great episode. Another episode, Jim. Like, I know. We're flying I know. through them. We we're, are, yeah. We're going to be soon on to 150. Yes. Who are we going to get? Oh, I don't know. We'll have to, we'll have to, we'll have to plan yeah, that. Yeah, have to think about that. Maybe we anyway. should get, because this is the second time that MySpace has come up recently. Maybe we should get, um, who's the Tom, Tom from MySpace? <laughs> What's he doing now? Well, Whatever happened to you never Tom? hear from him. So if we could track him down, it could be a bit of an exclusive. Oh, so. Yeah, that would. If anyone's, if Tom's listening, or anyone <laughs> who knows Tom... Get, let's get, get Tom in contact. On. Let's get Tom on. Yeah. Let's see what happened. Tom from MySpace. Brilliant. What happened? What happened, Tom? Well, he probably, made, he probably had... made a lot of money and is living a very comfortable yeah. life doing nothing. My, what happened to my? I quite liked MySpace. I think I preferred mm. it to Facebook. When we had to when we had Sophie on re- a few weeks ago, we we all looked up MySpace and it is pretty dead. It's pretty dead. Yeah. Oh, it's big, big dead. I think Justin Timberlake tried to take it over, but um, nah, it's all gone, yeah. mate. Never mind. Never yeah. mind. <laughs> anyway, don't look back now. No, exactly. Look forward. Um, well, anyway, thank you to Imogen. Really, really, really appreciate yep. that. And, and thank you to our listeners and our patrons as well. Thank you for supporting us. We hope you enjoy the extra bit of content. Yes. If you're not a patron, but you want to hear more from Imogen, you can sign up at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash blank podcast. We would love uh, we would love your support big time. But we do love all of our fans regardless. And we appreciate your... Fans now, are they? Oh, I said fans. <laughs> listeners. <laughs> listeners. Sorry, listeners. It's because Imogen was talking about fans. Um, and obviously, you know, we read out tweets at the top of the pod. If you want to get in contact with us, uh, Twitter is the place to do that. Our handle is at Blank Pod, and we're also on Instagram and Facebook, and it's the exact same at Blank Pod. Easy peasy, easy peasy, and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we yeah, we like hearing from our listeners slash fans. Yeah, if you're a fan, that's great. Yeah. You're a sort of next level listener. Next level listener. To <laughs> uh, so our next level listeners, that's what we should have called you. the patron. Uh, yeah. brilliant right I think we should wrap up there another another great episode um, yeah thanks Jim we'll be back next week won't we Giles with another guest 
Oh, yeah, undoubtedly. We're back every week. We're back every week, yeah. Uh, so no stopping us. Back on Tuesdays for the regular people, Mondays if you're a patron. So there you go, another perk mm. for signing up. You get it 24 hours early. But anyway. <laughs> sell, 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 sell. Indeed. <laughs> have a great week wherever you are. Stay safe. Giles, have a great week. You too, Jim. Thank you very much. And we'll see you again soon on The Black Podcast. Goodbye. Media Podcast.